Welcome to No Teacher Left Behind with Christine Hurt and Natalie McIntosh for humorous musings from the teacher's lounge. Hi, Natalie. Hey, Christine. Um, Okay, so first off, there's some things that are on my mind, very exciting things to announce, and I'm shifting in my seat and trying to get all comfortable. First first thing we have to announce... (laughs) Is that we are currently sitting in the backyard (laughs) of uh, our sound engineer's house. And uh, Brent, uh, he's like, hey, do you want to do this outside? We were like, sure, why not? Can we have class outside? Can we have class outside? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So today we're having class outside. And you're that? We're outside. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? We're fine with it. Yeah. So you're sitting with us in the backyard. This is awesome. There's no place I would rather be. Exactly. So, uh, welcome to the ambient noise. Um, okay. First off, other exciting announcements is one, we have a Facebook page. Woohoo! A lot of people, by the time you're listening to this, have already um, followed it. Uh, thank you. And I even got a review from Brent's dad. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay. So I'm the administrator on that one, but I, you know, yeah. put you put you on there. Christina's backup yeah. just in case I get hit by a bus. <laughs> So, uh, and then we also have an email address, uh, no teacher left behind podcast, all one word, no teacher left behind podcast at gmail.com. And I am still working on the website and I will let you know when that is live. Yes. So we also have an Instagram page. Thanks to our wonderful sound engineer, Brent. Yes. And if I remember correctly, it's no teacher left behind, but between each word, there's an underscore. Okay, okay so on Instagram, That's... it's no underscore teacher underscore left underscore behind. behind. Yes. I think, okay. Yeah. He's, he's nodding in agreement. Um, so that's exciting. And now I have to learn how to use Instagram. <laughs> Everybody around me is like, it's the easiest thing. It's yeah. even easier than Facebook. And I'm yeah. like, okay. I don't understand how it works either, but I probably should. Yeah. So this will be my, my uh, motivation to finally figure out exactly. Instagram. So Brent's in charge of that one. Yeah. yeah. But the big, big picture <laughs> news. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. We've got an email address. We almost have a website. We're becoming legit. official people. Yeah, we are legit. We, we're legit here. Yeah. It's happening. So those uh, are my announcements, I yeah. think. Yeah, I don't have any announcements. I do have a little bit of a um, a reflection that I would like to kind of bring to the table. Sure. Um, starting out this episode. And that is, you know, we've been, as we've been publishing episodes, Natalie and I um, have been listening to them ourselves. And... Excuse me. I have noticed that, um, you know, because Natalie will pick a topic, I will pick a topic, and we alternate kind of that way, um, that my topics tend to be, you know, sort of of the big picture variety, looking at issues in education as a whole or, um, you know, just sort of bigger picture things. And Natalie tends to pick topics that are more relatable to the day-to-day life of an active teacher who is in the thick of it right now. And it makes sense because she is an active teacher who is in the thick of it right now. (laughs) And those are, those are her daily concerns. And I am not teaching right now. Um, and so I have the, uh, what's the word mental bandwidth, I guess, to pursue some of these bigger picture topics that I think about. And, um, well, right. Because when I'm in the classroom, I am like right now, the things to do list in my mind is so 
uh, detail oriented. Yes. yes. You know, things that I've got to get into the grade book or, or students that I need to email or parents yeah. that I need to talk to yeah. or I have hall duty tomorrow. So yeah. I'm like into those little details right now where you have stepped back from the classroom, but you're still very much an active participant in your own way. Yeah. Looking at everything from a broader scope. Exactly. Yeah. And your concerns are rightly more related to the practice of teaching, right? Like you're, when you get through, you know, your daily list of, I got to email this parent, I've got to talk to this administrator, I've got to make this lesson plan, I've got to do these copies, you know, any reflection you do is on your practice. How do I, how do I teach this lesson in a better way? How do I reach this student? Um, and, and that makes sense because that's your job. That's what you're doing right now. And I know when I was teaching, that's where my brain space was too. And now that I've got um, this, this time I'm not teaching, my brain has a little bit more space to explore some of these topics that maybe I thought about, but in a very fleeting way. Right. You know, and I didn't have time to chase it down or read about it or open up a discussion about it. And um, and so, two, as I was reflecting on this, two things came to mind. One, I think it's really cool because then I get to still stay pretty connected to the day-to-day life of teaching through having these discussions with the topics that Natalie brings up. And I get to maybe pull Natalie into a little bit more of my big picture thinking. Definitely. Um, and two, um, I just forgot what two was. So never mind. <laughs> I bet it was great though. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm sure it was fabulous. Maybe I'll think was, of it later. Exactly. Um, this is, and this is good because sometimes I know from my own standpoint, when I'm in the classroom and I'm in the day to day, I can put on those blinders so hard and I can't see beyond my own classroom. I had, I had prom duty last night. Uh, yeah. It's the worst. No, it's the best. <laughs> I had the first shift, which is great. Oh, yeah. If you're going to have prom yes. duty, you have the first and shift. And I had uh, door opening duty. Oh. So they would walk up and I'd say, do you remember your ID and your tickets? Yeah. And you look beautiful. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And then somebody told me that they're ready to take my retake on Monday. And I yeah. was like, just, <laughs> this is not the time. Fun. This is not the time. <laughs> this is prom. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so I had prom duty last night and... It's the first time I've seen a lot of the teachers I work with in a long time, even though they work right down the hall from me. I was able to, like, have a conversation with someone I haven't seen all year. Yeah. And he's literally, like, five doors down. Yeah. But we just get so much into the the cave, or I do anyway. And I think a a large part of that is I'm so introverted that my battery gets drained from beginning to end. I come in with a full battery, and by the time school's done, I am done. That's it. You've used your entire battery. And I, I... I'm not social, and so I do. I am one of those. I don't really go out and seek out social stuff. So to have you uh, come in with uh, broader topics helps me from getting stuck in the details. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered my second point there. Oh, good. Which was, you know, so I feel like this is a really great way for me to keep connected to the day-to-day level of teaching, but I also want to make it very clear that I don't think that day teachers who are in it day-to-day necessarily, you know, um, are at fault for not thinking of these big picture mm-hmm. ideas. Because when I was teaching, when I was in the classroom, it takes up like your whole brain, like Natalie was saying. And so it makes sense that there's not a lot of 
time or space or energy in your brain to devote to thinking of these bigger picture ideas. And I fully expect when I'm ready to go back to work and get back in the classroom, this part of things is going to kind of necessarily have to die down for me. So I'm really happy to have this outlet and this um, urge, you know, to explore this stuff now while I have a time. And um, so I, I feel like I'm really benefiting from it. But I also want to make it really clear to teachers who are out there listening you know, don't beat yourself up because you don't have time to think about, you know, going to the school board meetings and addressing huge global issues in education. Right. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's upset with you for that. <clears throat> um, just, you know, having a conversation and listening to a podcast about it, I think, is can be enough yeah. to kind of keep keep it just a little bit in your brain, maybe. Yeah. And um, no, that is very very good to bring up and I didn't really see that pattern so yeah. that was a really cool thing that you brought to me and just said yeah. hey you know I noticed something about yeah. our topics and yeah. I was like oh yeah, yeah. we do didn't we yeah. it's kind of and it, it totally makes sense and it's I totally fine yeah it's totally fine yeah um, but now one thing that we should probably uh, mention is uh, in a few weeks uh, you're going to be uh, going on maternity leave <laughs> yes maternity leave from, so I you think know, what we've decided to do as a podcast is kind of um, put a wrap on this season and yeah. the next couple of episodes here uh, I, this might be the next to the last episode if I'm yeah. doing my math yeah. correctly and uh, and then we'll take like a little bit of break so you know you can pop out a baby and yeah, <laughs> have yeah. your time <laughs> and enjoy that that newborn exactly. no sleep life and then we'll play it by ear when yeah. we come back but we'll definitely keep you updated on our Facebook page which once again is at No Teacher Left Behind podcast that's what you search for in the Facebook bar um, and then email address No Teacher Left Behind podcast at gmail .com. and then the Insta. Isn't that what the kids say? Uh -huh. The Insta? Yeah. Yes. Uh, no underscore teacher. Oh, this is hard. Wait. No underscore teacher underscore left underscore behind. Yes. Woo! Okay. That's where we flex on the gram, as the kids say. Oh, my God. Is that a thing, really? Okay. That's <laughs> what my husband says when he's flex trying to be cool. Gram. Yeah. That's where you flex on the gram. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't think kids actually say that, but um, So, if anyway. I rem remember correctly, it's your turn. Yes. Topic? Yes, and I okay. my topic. Um, speaking of bigger issues in education, and um, uh, you know, talking about the system as a whole, um, and in this case, how it sort of affects the day-to-day -day life of a teacher. Um, I watched a really interesting video. Um, I found out about this really interesting video about, oh, maybe three weeks ago. Um, and I kept thinking, oh, I need to watch it. Oh, I need to watch it. Oh, I need to watch it. So I finally watched it yesterday, you know, and because I thought I'm probably going to want to talk about this on the podcast. So I should probably actually watch it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I can't remember the, because I didn't write it down because I'm just a hot mess, but um, the exact name of the video but it um is something to the effect of burnout versus moral injury and it was a video with a man named dr z um okay. and the z dog 
Perhaps, yes. Z Dog MD. It's yes, not burnout, yes. it's moral injury. There you go. It's not burnout, okay. it's moral injury. And you yeah, can find the video. On, on obviously, YouTube. you can find it on YouTube because that's what I just did. <laughs> yeah. And um, for some reason, my phone is being a jerk and not letting me look things up right now. So, <laughs> anyway, um, his video, he's talking about, because he's a doctor, he's talking about healthcare professionals. And um, when, when he's speaking, but I was watching this and thinking, if you replace the word doctors and nurses with the word teacher, you replace the word patients with the word students, and you replace the word electronic medical records with standardized test data, he's talking about something that teachers experience, I feel. Um, and his, his main point was that you know, we talk a lot about teacher burnout. Don't get burnt out. We tell first-year teachers all the time, don't burn yourself out, don't burn yourself out. And his, his, one of his first points that he makes in the video is talking about burnout, using that kind of language, blames the victim. It puts oh. the blame and the responsibility and the onus on the doctor, nurse, or in our case, teacher. If you're getting burned out, it's your fault. You are doing something wrong. You are the problem. Um, versus what he calls moral injury and uh, which puts, and I'll explain more about what moral injury is in just a second, but the, using that, that term, that mindset, puts the responsibility back onto the system and sort of puts the blame on the system for the problems that the teachers are experiencing. Um, and the moral injury, he did not come up with this term. There are a couple of researchers that he references in the video who came up with this term. Um, and But the, the idea with moral injury is that, you know, doctors and nurses get into health care for the same reason that teachers get into education. And, um, you know, and for teachers, you know, sometimes it's because you get summers off and it's kind of a creative job. There are a lot of reasons to get into teaching, but I would say even so for teachers, you get into it feeling like there is, we have this moral obligation to educate young people and we have a moral sense of how to do that. What is the best way to serve students? What is the best way to provide them with this education? And there are a lot of instances when you start teaching and you are faced with the actual profession, the system of education that we work within, that what is required of teachers and what teachers feel like is morally correct are in conflict. And so you end up choosing between doing what you feel like is the morally correct choice or keeping your job so that you can feed your family, which is also a moral obligation that you have. And it's, you know, things that I was talking to uh, another educator earlier today that I met up with for coffee and, um, you know, and we were talking about, cause we're both math teachers, you know, this I think is a very good example of it, how I feel like as a math teacher, we should be spending more time teaching children, teaching students to think mathematically 
right? right? We teach them a lot of algorithms. We teach them a lot of steps, of processes. We teach them how to get answers. We teach them how to get answers. Out exactly. But they don't know why. Yeah. They don't know why that works. And they don't know and how to build that framework for no. themselves either. And so if you gave <clears throat> a student a problem that was completely new to them and said, just figure it out and explain to me how you figured it out and explain to me why your reasoning is sound, they would be completely incapable of doing that. And it's not their fault. Right. That's, that's because they've never been taught to do it. And that's a problem. Because that's the whole point of mathematics is to learn that process, that right. thought process is really what mathematics is about. It's not about getting the answer. It's not about this algorithm. It's about understanding how you start with a problem and figure out how you take the known quantities of the problem, put them together in logically and mathematically sound ways to get to the unknown of the problem. And I feel like it's a huge failure in education that we don't do this. Right. But if I want to keep my job. You have to keep the, teaching the, to the test. I have to keep kids passing the standardized test. And the standardized test doesn't care if you can solve a problem three different ways. They it, just want the right they answer. They want the right answer. Yeah. There's no, no credit for showing your work. Yeah. Your answer yeah. is either right or it's wrong. Yeah. You know, and in <clears> math, <throat> that, I mean, at the end of the day, that is true. The answer is either right or wrong. But kids have no idea that there are multiple paths to that answer. But like in highly mathematical careers, like out in the real world, with yeah. engineers and everything, you have to uh, be able to present your solution and your findings and you have to back that up. Like, yeah, here's you my have process. to be able to... Here's why I think that that space shuttle should be at 38 degrees up in the orbit because of this is the process that I went to yeah. figure that out. You can't just go, the answer's 38 degrees and walk away and yeah. get your paycheck and go home. Right. <laughs> right, because there's no there's no answer key that says that that's correct. You You're have gonna... to be able to demonstrate that you have used a mathematically sound process to get to that answer. Right. Um, and so that's just one example of a I, way I feel like my sense of morals in my desire to teach children, to teach students, is in conflict with my desire to keep a job right um you know and it's other it's like these little things every day like i've got to keep everybody in my classroom engaged at all times just in case somebody walks in to see if my students are engaged when i know that this kid his parents are about to get a divorce and it's kind of eating away at him and he has got 50 percent to give me mm -hmm. i want to just be able to say you know what you're 50 that's good enough for today thank you for right. being here because that's how I build a relationship with that student. That's my moral obligation to my relationship with this kid is to be able to respect him as a human person and say, you've got 50% to give me. If you give me that 50% today, we'll, we'll call it good. Um, or to take the kid who has come from way far behind. He may not make it or she may not make it all the way to the goal by the end of the year. But I can see that they have grown tremendously and they have made great strides. And if they keep going, they will get to that goal and beyond it. But the system tells them, well, it's not good enough. Right. You didn't make it. Just, it feels like these little, little bruises to your sense of morality and teaching um, over time. And then that's what causes this quote unquote sense of burnout. That's what really burns us out. 
It's not a lack of massages. Yeah. Or it's not, you know, <laughs> or bubble you baths. need better self care. Yeah. You need to learn how to leave work at work. And no, it's it, it, the problem is happening at work. The problem is that at work, I'm being told you have to make this choice between doing what you feel like is the right thing to do and doing what will keep you getting paid. And, right. and it's not every moment. There are a lot of times where those two goals line up. But I feel like there are so many times where they don't. And especially where you see it the most is in new teachers. And that's where, you know, because there are those statistics about how many teachers leave after one year and after five years. Um, and it's way too high of a number. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about before, you know, um, when we were talking about the teacher strikes and how... A lot of the headlines are teachers are striking for more pay. And there's all these other things that's actually the problem. And I feel like this is one of those things that makes up that, we talked about that, 93%. 7% of teachers that left said they left because of the salary. And in that 93%, I feel like this, this sense of, I can't teach the way I think is an appropriate way to teach. I'm not allowed to do the work I think is important. That's... I think a big part of why a lot of teachers leave. Right. Um, and I also... Now, in the video, if you don't mind me no, asking go for a it. quick question. In the video, you said that the video was about was by a doctor, and he's talking about how it applies in the medical field. Did he give an example of, like, what doctors and nurses face? Yes. Just to kind of round out my definition sure. of what moral injury is. Sure. He talked a lot about with the electronic medical records that doctors and nurses spend a lot of time looking at those electronic medical records okay. and not enough time looking patients in the eye. Okay. Okay. And getting to know them as people getting to sit down with their patient and listen and say, tell me what's wrong. Right. And listening to that story. It's all about this electronic medical record. And then, you know, um, and then so the doctors and the nurses feel the burnout because they want to do what's best for the patient, but they feel confined to the reports and the data? To the reports and the data and what is allowed by insurance and what is allowed by the hospital oh, right. administrator. And you know? regulations and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, well, I know that you need this kind of care, but your insurance, your insurance is not going to cover that kind of care. Ugh. And, you know, and my hospital administrator isn't going to let me advocate for this path um, because it puts us at risk with our liability insurance or whatever right um there are a lot of constraints that they have to find some of them you know obviously make sense like there's a reason why they can't advocate for people to start using heroin because it's bad for them <laughs> you know it's well, dangerous yeah. but um it will it will kill a lot of the pain right now but it will cause a lot of other problems so we don't do that anymore um you know but i feel like doctors and nurses who come to the profession with moral obligation would also be able to make that decision for themselves. They would figure that out. Um, but you know, in, and as a patient of the healthcare system, I see that a lot where I feel like doctors aren't able to listen to me yeah. to a full extent. And, and then they're just treating whatever right in front of them based on this electronic medical record, which may or may not have all of the information in it. Um, and you know, uh, you know, and I know at the the maternal fetal clinic where I go for my prenatal care, they have midwives and they have OBs both. You can choose which route of care right. you want to go to. And I have learned um, that they're 
OB visits are scheduled for 10 minutes. Midwife visits are scheduled for 20 minutes. Huh. So the OBs are all super jealous of the midwives because the midwives get twice as much time scheduled with their patients. But also, 10 minutes. Yes. 10 minutes is barely enough time. What are you going to accomplish in 10 minutes of talking to me? You know, especially if I was a first-time mom. I'm, I'm a second-time mom, so a lot of my questions I got answered last time. You know, I understand. <laughs> but even still, as a second-time mom, is, is pregnancy is different. And I feel like even 20 minutes is a little bit of a rush if I'm, you know, not feeling well or if I have concerns or things don't seem like they're going right. Or, you know, at one point I was dealing with a lot of anxiety because, you know, it's just a big life change. And, um, you know, and I was really fortunate that the midwife I saw that day was willing to say, this might go on for longer than 20 minutes, but this is clearly something that we need to talk about what's going on. Um, and I feel like in a 10 minute visit, you couldn't even get to the part where you figured out something was going on. You know, it just is so in and out. So I can see how that would over time just great on a doctor. Like, how can I do my job? Right. Within this constraint. I think it's very interesting that we're talking about two, um, professions, two fields, which is very human centric and connection centric yes. and relationship building yes. centric. It's our and, favorite term. <laughs> but there's also this big push from everywhere to make uh, everything consistent and uh, have uh, good outcomes. Yeah, and, and standardized. And standardized. And so you're trying to take something that involves a lot of human beings mm-hmm. and you're trying to make it a factory. Yeah. You want to, like, get the get the people in, get them educated, get them out. Yeah. On, and treating it like it has to be the same. Like yeah. they're all on an assembly line and everything. And then uh, teachers in the middle we're kind of stuck there saying, I can't, I can't treat this one over here the same way that I treat this one. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it just doesn't Even if work. the goal is the same, we want to get them to the same finish line. I can't do it the same way with this one and this one. Right. These are two different human people. Right. They have different needs. They have different requirements for support that it's going to take them to get where they're going. Right. Not to mention the fact that they both probably actually need different finish lines. Yeah, well, there's you that. Know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of this quote-unquote burnout comes from. It's this frustration of feeling like what I know is the right way to handle this is not the way that I'm allowed to handle this. Right. At all. Um, it's not within the constraints that have been set out in front of me of, you know, getting a certain percentage of kids to get a certain score on this standardized test at the end of the year. And, um, you know, and not being able to, and being so focused on that standardized test that I'm not able to sort of teach the whole student, just like I feel like doctors aren't always able to treat the whole person because they don't have time for that. They have to deal with the tiny issue that's set in front of them and then move on. Right. And, um, and I feel like, you know, if you're teaching algebra one, you are required to be so focused on the core skills of algebra one that there is no time to help these students grow as mathematical thinkers. Right. And that takes time. Yeah. That's something that it takes a lot of time. We're, we're teaching breadth. Not yes. depth. Yes. And to be able to become critical thinkers yeah. like that, you need depth. Yeah. 
uh, which and may mean teaching the Pythagorean theorem to some set of, set of students who are ready for it and who can understand it and kind of come up with it on their own yeah. when I present the problem. Yeah. And it may not for this other set mm -hmm. who are still trying to learn what a triangle is. Yes. And that the sides don't add up to be yeah. 180 degrees. Yeah, and what a right angle <laughs> means and how that affects the rest of the triangle. And so while you were talking, mm -hmm. I was being very rude and on my phone because I was just on this article today about how uh, Finnish teachers from uh -huh. Finland have come over and taught in our system yeah. and they're, you know, yeah. getting whiplash from uh, what it's like. And this one paragraph, like as you were talking, I was <laughs> like, oh, so here's a teacher. Um, she got a master's degree in English for speakers of other languages in 2014. She's somewhere in Maryland. Uh, and she's in her third year of teaching in the States, but she's from Finland. And she says she finds her level of professional freedom is often restricted by the structure of the school day and the long list of teaching responsibilities in America. I teach six classes a day with a 45-minute, quote, planning period. My classes are at three different proficiency levels. I have four minutes between classes to prepare for the next class. Yep. At the same time, I'm expected to stand in the hallways to monitor students as they transfer from class to class and to yep. check my email for last-minute updates and changes because of ongoing testing or other events. I feel rushed. Nothing gets done properly. There is very little joy and no time for reflection or creative thinking in order to create meaningful activities for students. And it's that whole thing of you took someone who was probably trained to focus on the relationship between human yeah. beings and be a mentor yeah. type of person to guide a student toward mm -hmm. a conclusion and plopped her into the middle of our factory system, yep. uh, which is the way public education first came about was yeah. to create factory workers. Yes, to train people to the workforce, <clears throat> which at the time was mostly factory exactly they needed them to be able to sit down follow directions yeah. no matter not to ask mm -hmm. a lot of questions not mm -hmm. to think on their own mm -mm. not to think no critically. just to have a mastery of a set of skills mm -hmm. and be able to sit still and do them without asking too many questions and work on that assembly line yeah. and make money yeah so <laughs> yeah uh and it hasn't changed that much over the years unfortunately it, it has not not nearly as exactly. much as i i would love for it to um because i i think that's not really the beauty of an educated public. I feel like there is a lot to be gained by society. We've talked about this before, a lot to be gained by society by educating our young people. And that doesn't mean just giving them a set of skills that they can apply to working in a factory, because let's face it, factory work is not going to be here for a lot longer. And so these kids are going to be really in a bad way. Um, but I feel like I want to live in a community where people can think critically about what is going on around them, about what is going on in their government, about what is going on in their family, about what is going on in their own personal lives and with their neighbors, and a uh, community that has learned to problem be, solve, to problem solve, to be a part of a mm -hmm. relationship, share resources yes. openly, yes, uh, yes. collaborate. Yes. Uh, but also to be able to work independently when needed, you know, exactly. and to take an initiative to get something done. Yes. And these are all things that I think can be learned alongside academics and integrated with academics and all can be learned in school. And I feel like most teachers that I have met want to teach these things. Yes. Desperately. Desperately is a good word. But we don't 
have the ability to do that. We don't have the permission yes. to do that. And it's not, you know, it's not my administrator's mm-hmm. fault. It's not my principal's fault. Mm-hmm. It's the how this the whole system the, has been set the up. The whole the system at large. And um, and I feel like that frustration, especially in that first year, because it's so jarring. Because you get in thinking that you're going to get into the classroom and you are going to support and help these young people to grow as people, as academics, as, in our case, mathematicians or historians or scientists or, you know, um, writers, readers yes. and writers, that you're going to help them become these more well-rounded, thoughtful, critical thinking people. <laughs> Sorry, we just like... We have a big gust of wind. We're, yes, we're, the wind, and we're yeah. trying to, I think, decide if it's also <laughs> it's the wind a of rain, change, Christine. perhaps. the wind of yes, change. I hope for a wind of change. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, you get into it, and it's like almost bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, thinking that you're going to be able to support these young people in becoming more well-rounded, critical thinkers, and then you get in and realize that we are just here to move them closer to the test. And then over and time, as a teacher, I feel uh, more and more discouraged. Yeah. And then I feel like, oh, I've got teacher burnout. And uh-huh. so I go and I search for teacher burnout. Yeah. And it's, you know, connect with other teachers, which, uh, fine. Yeah. Got it. Um, you know, take yourself on special dates yourself. Yeah. You know, That's self-care. Nature. Get a pedicure. And <laughs> have a glass of wine on Friday night. Make sure to leave work at work. But what you're saying is a lot of this feeling is really coming from the conflict internally with the system that I may be working within. Yeah. I get that. I yeah. understand that. And that I feel like sense. changing that mindset a little bit maybe will encourage educators like ourselves to maybe stop blaming ourselves for that sense of frustration and maybe start having more conversations with our administrators, our school districts, our legislators to say, this is not working. We know what will work. You need to listen to us. Yeah. And that was the focus, the pull quote that I just uh, read to you from the Finnish instructor was from an article and the focus of that was autonomy yeah. just the lack of autonomy in the classroom yeah uh and that kind of feeds right into what you're saying yeah it's like we have a certain subset of kids who are growing up in a certain geographical area of the nation that has its own needs mm-hmm. for the community uh yet we have to work within this uh prescribed outline the system this set of uh things facts that they need to learn and be able to recite um these correct answers they have to circle on tests and all of this whereas i would just love for them to be functioning good-hearted citizens yeah (laughs) in my community who can problem solve yes yeah yeah excellent yeah exactly and i feel like i really it was just fascinating to me to think and reflect on how that subtle change of focus brought about by a subtle change of language could really turn the whole narrative around and, you know, take that responsibility for change off the shoulders of the teachers who are not the ones creating the problem. The fact that teachers are getting the sense of frustration is not because they're not, you know, 
getting enough sleep and they're not getting enough social time and they're not leaving work at work and they're not doing, you know, a weekly massage or whatever self-care nonsense people are preaching at them. It, they're not the ones that are causing the problem, mm-hmm. but we're sort of being told that we're the ones who need to accept the situation and just learn to make ourselves feel better uh-huh. about it all. Yeah. Just yeah. accept it and learn to feel good about it. Right. You know, just do yoga and meditate <laughs> and then you'll be okay with it. And I feel like if you were really doing yoga and meditating, you would be less okay with it yeah, because yeah, you true. would just be like, this really sucks. Yes. I'm not able to do the work that I feel like needs to be done. So, so once again, you brought like before us a nice big <laughs> global issue. Yeah. And it really actually really does, you know, cause like I said, I have my blinders on. I'm at the end of the school year. Oh, and yes. When you're at the end of the school year, all you can think about <laughs> is the end of the school year. Yes, exactly. I get it. And there's so much to be done and I've definitely got the blinders on, but yeah. to hear you say that, yes, you're tired and yes, you're, you can be frustrated and yes, um, uh, things are not at ease within yeah. you and that's okay. Yeah. And it's not your job. Yeah. to fix everything. Um, I feel like mine is to just kind of recognize it and have awareness about yeah. it and just let it be what it is for right now yeah. um, for me so I can function as a human being, a yeah. positive one who can problem solve and uh, finish out the school year as yeah. best I can. And But the thing that keeps haunting me is what you talked about with doctors um, not being able to actually talk to their patients and look them in the eye. You yeah. Know, well, being able to, but... N- the time yeah. is so much less than looking at the actual records. And yeah. I, that hit me hard because yeah. that is very much the yeah. existence as we teachers experience yeah. is I don't have a lot of time to look each of my students in the mm-hmm. eye. No. There's the ones who are high on the radar that I have yeah. to have. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you spend 90% with. of your time with 10% of your students. Yes. And I feel like it does a huge disservice to all of the other ones who you're, you make that quick glancing eye contact. Okay. You're still on task. Okay. You're still on task. Okay. You're still on task. Oh, you are not on task again. Let me spend five minutes talking to you about why you're not on task. And the truth is that kid needs that five minutes, desperately needs that five minutes from you, but you don't have the five minutes that all those other kids deserve as well. Exactly. And, um, and so I feel like, you know, as we were talking about this, I'm thinking, so what's the, what's the action item? What's the takeaway? And I think, like you said, for teachers who are in it, especially those of you who are just looking down the barrel of the end of the year (laughs) and that end of the year testing, and it is a day-to-day struggle to just survive, just be aware. Like Natalie said, just be aware of this dynamic and how it's it's really affecting your job satisfaction and your ability to do your job. And maybe if you have enough brain space now, and if not, over the summer. But just think of maybe, I think if it were me, and I was still in the classroom right now, and maybe and I hope to remember this conversation when I get back in the classroom and I go back to work. Well, we have it's, it recorded now, so... Yeah, there you go. And I can just <laughs> go back and listen to it. Um, but just maybe think of little, almost like acts of rebellion. Oh, yeah. Little ways that you can say, you know what, today... I'm going to choose to get through less of my lesson and make eye contact with every one of my students. Yes. 
you know, or I'm going to choose to tell my administration, you know what, I know that this student is behind on their work. But I also know what's going on outside of school for this student, and I'm willing to accept that and mm-hmm. let that go for right now because we'll, we'll get there later. Yeah. You know, or... I don't know. I think sometimes there are moments that come up in the classroom where you feel like this is a teachable moment. Yeah. And I'm going to explore this teachable moment, even though it's not technically about Algebra 1. Mm-hmm. But you kids need to know that yeah. this is a life thing, you know. Um, and I think if maybe we can find those little little ways to insert it. And it's unfortunate because I feel like it ends up doing exactly the opposite of what I've been talking about this whole episode, which ends up sort of putting that burden back on us to figure out what to do about what it. What to do about right. it. Um, but also we need our sanity. Yes. And so I feel like maybe if we do find those little ways, then maybe we can come up with like a little toolbox or a cache of ways that we can incorporate it in a broader sense over time. But even so, even just the awareness that this is the situation that we find ourselves in does remove a lot of the weight from, from my shoulders. Yeah. This burden of... Well, in the sense of guilt. I, 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 I don't want to do some of the things that they tell me I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do them, not because I don't want to do them, but yeah. because I don't feel like it's best for my students yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, I've got four more topics to, to cover before SOLs. I don't, I don't think I can. Yeah. I don't think I've, I've got to stop and I've got to review. I'm, yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to make sure that they know the things that we've learned so far. And, and it's also knowing your kids. And that's another reason why you can't treat schools like factories is because every set of kids I've taught over the 14 years that mm-hmm. I've been teaching has been different yeah. and they have yeah. different needs and yeah. they bring different tools to the table already yeah. and they need to build yes. different sets of tools. Yes. And and honestly, yeah. that's one of my favorite things about the teaching profession. That's one of the things that draws me to teaching is that every year is not the same. Right. Every cohort of students is different. Every student within a cohort is different. And so it the work is never done. The work of improving as a teacher, the work of meeting and reaching the students before you, that work is never done. And that's what keeps me excited about teaching because I feel like I'm always going to get to grow along with my students. Right. Um, but if I'm not allowed to do that, then that takes away what makes the profession interesting to me right. and rewarding and exciting and right. useful to the students. Amen. Yeah. So anyway, there's my rant for today. <laughs> Excellent. I loved it. Thank you, yeah. Christine. Yeah. And I believe that Brent has a end of the episode question for us. We have not oh, yeah. seen these questions. These are brand new to us. So. All right. Pick a number between one and three. I'll let you have the honors, Natalie. Two. The only even prime number. Right. Such a math teacher. <laughs> this one's kind of a dark one. Oh, jeez. Have you ever felt threatened in the classroom? Um, I'll say, like, if I were to answer that, like, did I ever feel, like, um, threatened, like, in danger in any way? Uh, I think the closest I came was, I think, my first year in a co-ed classroom. Um, some, some guys, uh, it was never directed at me. Uh, so, I guess in to answer the question question no I've never felt personally threatened in the classroom by anybody in there 
um, like they were going to come at me or anything or, or from any other teachers or, you know, anything. Uh, but there was like a, a kind of a scary situation where you don't know where things are headed. You see mm -hmm. a couple of teenagers and these happen to be young men and both, you know, if you had told me, hey, two of these guys are going to get into a little bit of a verbal, you know, sparring match, um, I never would have guessed it would be these two particular students. <laughs> it totally threw me off. I was like, wait, who? What? what? Huh? Uh, but, you know, sometimes life hits you. Everything gets on your nerves. You got a final straw situation. Things escalate. Yeah. And so the only threatening uh, feeling that I ever had, this little sense of danger, was I, I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. Yeah. And... You know, you see, you know, in recent history, you see, like, videos posted all the time of, like, teachers, you know, either not doing anything while, while kids are fighting yeah. or uh, or they they bear hug a student and, right. then, oh, no, they touch involved. them. Yeah. And then, of course, then you have, like, the random ones where people get punched. It's yeah. just weird. But but in the moment, you don't think like that. Yeah. Um, in the moment... I was just racing through my mind of everything that I needed to do to defuse a situation. Yeah. And uh, when I realized that they weren't hearing me telling them to stand down, to stop, to step away, to take a breath, to go take a lap, any of these suggestions, yeah. I was like, please, I'm giving you permission. One of you yes. walk out please of the classroom, leave. walk away. Yeah. Uh, when that wasn't registering, they were still, it was like as if I wasn't there. I went over to the phone and I had, we have like a little emergency, two, 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 and yeah. I sent an administrator to the room. And then I stepped between them. Yeah. Uh, now, it's a brave move for I, a short person. But I mean, once again, I'm looking at the two, <laughs> not that short, um, <laughs> but looking at the two fellas, my students, you know, and this is near the end of the school year and it's probably yeah. a very late spring break again. Yeah. So I totally get it. Uh, I didn't feel like they would, uh, yeah. you know, throw a punch if I was standing between. That was yeah. just my instinct. Yeah. And this is what you were talking about yeah. is like. Sometimes I'm ignoring instincts yeah. and if my administration or my school district, you know, doesn't agree with that, then I'll handle that at that time, but yeah. I'm still going to do what I think is right. Yeah. And from a mom, a parental point of view, standing between them. Yeah. And, and I didn't touch, yeah. I didn't do anything. I just stood between Yeah. and was just, uh, you yep. know, just trying yeah. to keep it from going to a physical right level. and in the moment you just had that sense of like this is where i need to be to keep this from escalating because you know i'm not like breaking out the laminated here's what you do in an altercation right? steps you know, you, know that. you you do what yeah what you comes just into go your with mind. your gut and uh but here's what happened that was pretty funny is I happen to glance, because, you know, teachers, we can see mm -hmm. out all corners of the eyes. I happen <laughs> to glance. Scanning. They're, like, you know, puffing themselves up and, like, you know, still, like, throwing, you know, manly mm -hmm. insults at each other, whatever. And uh, <laughs> and I look out, and, you know, every student in that class had their phones out and were videoing. And I was like, okay. And then I completely ignored the two guys. I stepped out from them, yeah. and I said, Every single one of you, you need to put away your phones right now. Yeah. Not one of you is looking to help this situation. You are looking for personal gain, and this is voyeurism, and it's not right. Yeah. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Put your phones away. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's not to interrupt, <laughs> but that's another good example. Where we're just talking about that teachable moment where you step outside of being a math teacher, and you're like, listen, yes. as a person, you are being terrible. And one of the guy's friends, he... 
I don't know if he had a phone or not, but he came and he kind of helped get his friend away yeah. at that point. It's yeah. like, why oh, are you wait, not looking to be a helper yeah, in this situation? I can no. contribute to the diffusing yeah. of this situation. But anyway, yeah. uh, administrator was there, lickety split, and you know we're able to separate the two and get them calmed down and and get that resolved. But that was like, yeah, my my heart was racing there yeah. for a second. But I think out of that whole thing, I wasn't mad at the two guys. Yeah. I mean, testosterone happens. Yeah, it's very real. Yeah, and uh, oh. you know you get Girl upset about are- something happening too now if it had been two um ladies the way that they do their nails a lot of them i would not have stepped between them yeah but uh (laughs) with the two fellas i had a good relationship with both of them yes and so i knew that they would not yeah you know if they if i got hit it would be totally on accident and i i Um, (laughs) I know that this is probably just super sexist but boy fights and girl fights are different they just are and i wouldn't much rather break up a boy fight Yes. Than a girl fight because girls are out for blood, man. Yeah. They are vicious. Yes. Um, but I mean, pulling alone. So sometimes when I see some of these videos posted online, I get a little like, oh, but you weren't there. You don't yeah. know. Yeah. You don't know what relationship they had with those kids. Yeah. You don't know what they have been told yeah. by administrators. If it looks like, oh, they're not even trying to break up the fight, they yeah. probably were told not, not to. to. They're probably just told. Give the verbal warning. Yeah. Or, you know, and then, of course, Obviously, you're going to have, like, the anomalies that just, you know, go way overboard. And, of course, you know, uh, something should happen there. But for the most part, um, it was very interesting to me to see how I handled that situation. Because you can't really sit there and plan for it. Okay, if this ever happens, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Step one. Yeah. Uh, You know, you just do. Yeah. But I don't know. That was a long-winded answer to that question. I've never felt personally threatened, but that was probably the... Um, closest, just yeah. stepping between an yeah, altercation sure. uh, that I felt like, hey, I might, I might feel some pain here in a little yeah. bit. But fortunately, yeah. no, it was fine. Yeah, um, I even got a nice little letter when one of them graduated, aw. like saying that you know, yeah, he appreciated me as yeah. a teacher, and I was yeah. like, it's on my bulletin board. So sweet, it's so sweet. How about you, Christine? Um, I guess I've had a couple of instances where it was like almost like I felt like a fight was about to break out, but I was very fortunate that the verbal warning of one of you needs to leave the room right now was enough. So mm-hmm. it was there was no certainly no personal threat to me um, in that moment. But I think the closest thing to feeling and I guess I wasn't felt threatened in the moment, um, although I did have a student tell me one time that I was making him really mad. And he didn't tell me that he would throw a desk at me. He just <laughs> told me, okay. very matter-of-factly, you're making me very mad. I've thrown a desk at a teacher who made me very mad before. <laughs> thank you for and the warning. the transitive property uh-huh. of equals. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, thank you. For, and, but I, I don't know. I just had that instinct, that sense of, like, he wasn't about to throw a desk at me. He was trying to intimidate me. He was just trying to verbalize there, how upset he yes, was. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He was just trying to let me know, like, I'm really feeling like I'm, I'm getting close to feeling out of control. And I feel like you should know that. And I later had a talk with his sports coach about it and just said you might want to let him know that that's not a thing that you say to a teacher because I know that he didn't mean I'm going to throw a desk at you but a different teacher might interpret that differently and the consequences for threatening a teacher are severe yes um but I didn't 
I don't know. I just didn't feel that threatened by him. Maybe I was being naive. Maybe I should have been. But I feel like we have pretty good instincts. Yeah. Um, but I feel like probably the closest thing to being scared, and it was like, ret- in retrospect, it was weird. So my first year teaching, there was a credible threat against our school. I was wondering if you were going to yeah. bring that one up. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, that was involved uh, one, I believe, former student and one current student of the school um, who were working together to. They plot. had a plan. They had a plan. They had a plan. They had a plan. It was very credible. They were working the plan, you know, uh, working on bringing it to reality. Um, fortunately, another student caught wind of what was going on and reported it to the authorities and it was handled you know quickly and taken care of and all of that um but I found out that the current student who was involved with this was a student in my class yeah and um and this was a student I had just started building a relationship with yeah and I felt just I felt a lot of things and um and one of them was I felt like do I need to be worried about, you know, all of my kids? Like, I don't know. I didn't know that this was going on. I had no sense. This is your first year. This is my first year of teaching. It was like within the first month of school. It was, it It was was in the first semester for sure. And really early on. Um, and I felt like, you know, and I, I felt like I honestly didn't get a ton of support, like counseling or guidance from my administration on how to, deal with this as a person Mm -hmm. you know um because i had just started to to build a relationship with this kid and honestly like you were saying with the two boys that were about to get in this fight if somebody had come to you and said you know two boys are going to get a fight in your class who are they you would have never (laughs) guessed those two kids no (laughs) if somebody had come to me and said one of your students is uh plotting violence against the school who is it would not have like would never have picked this kid. He didn't seem like you think about it as like the loner kind of weirdo outcast kid. And he was real social. He had a bunch of friends. Like I couldn't get him to shut up in class, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and then this came in. So I just felt, I don't know. I just felt really weird about the fact that I had no inclination that this was going on and that I had no sense of, I don't know, closure or whatever about it. Like it just, you know, the principal came to me and said, this student is no longer going to be at the school because he was involved in this right. plan. And, and then that was it. And, that was and it. then you had to take care of and that then, burnout on yeah. your own. Really. Yeah. That and then, feeling you know, of- and then I had to face that class where he had friends who knew what was going on and we're yeah. supposed to learn math today. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And nobody gave me any guidance or counsel about how to address this with my class. I felt like it was something I really needed to address, but I didn't know how. So I just sort of didn't. Yeah. And that felt wrong, but I didn't want to do it and make it worse. I just, you know, yeah. it was really a weird, weird situation. Because you had processed it yourself yeah. as an individual yeah. who had a personal connection. Yeah. I did not have a personal connection. It was a student of a teacher who I was in the next room. Yeah. But I mean... Yeah, I, I did not have the personal connection you're talking of. And I remember I snapped at my class the next time and I had to stop myself and say, you know what? I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I just realized that I am still emotionally uh, affected yeah. by this event. And I did stop class and I did yeah. say, how are you guys doing? Yeah. yeah and some and I people think... talked and, and spoke up and said some things and they just thought it was weird. And, and, then, and then as teenagers do, they started, you know, trying to turn it to like a gossip mill. And yeah. I was like, okay, well now it's time to like put yeah. it away and get back to math. Yeah. But um, there were some, just to take that time to just breathe yeah. And say, yes, this did happen. Let's like acknowledge it and yeah. not like just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen yeah. and learn math. And I think that was, I think for me, the thing that made it the scariest was I felt like it was something I couldn't talk about. Yeah. You know, not with my students, not with my administration. And it was just, it was really hard to process. Yeah. So add that to the list of things that we have to think about on a daily basis yeah. of like just traumatic experiences yeah. happening. Yeah. Because I think it would have been maybe a little bit different if my administrator had told me this and I said, Oh, well he did seem a little bit off, you know, or I had noticed that he was being a little bit weird the last couple of weeks. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So, you know, interesting. Anyway, on that that note, it was kind of a dark question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You weren't kidding, but it was, yeah. And it kind of wrapped back around to the whole like question of, you know, burnout or moral injury of, and I can't, I can't really fault the school system or the whatever for it because that was the first time they had experienced anything like it. We don't know what to do in the aftermath. Yeah. It's not like, fortunately it's not something that happens all the time. Right. So there's not, there's not a playbook. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so So. it was, that was a good question. No, it was very thought, thought provoking. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Christine. (laughs) Thank you, Natalie. Till next time.